new long-term plan to fight marine debris in Hawaii. Ground has broken for a new ocean science education building in California. And new information about the impact of lionfish in the Bahamas. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, so let's dive right in. It's January 20th, 2010, and this is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We're going to start off today in Hawaii. Now, the Hawaiian Islands form one of the longest island chains in the world. It's over 1,500 miles long. And it's also, as you may know, one of the most remote island chains on the Earth. Now, you might think that since these islands are so far from other land masses and other people, that the islands would be relatively free of marine trash. But that's sadly not the case. Because of the ocean currents near the islands, a region known as the North Pacific Subtropical Convergence Zone, Thousands and thousands of pounds of marine debris from all over the globe float through the area, gather in the water, snag on the reefs, and wash up on the beaches across the island chain. And this debris is a huge problem. Let's consider its impact on whale populations. Now, Just last month, there was a serious whale entanglement near Maui. and An entanglement is when a whale gets caught up in marine debris. A rescue team from NOAA's Pacific Islands Regional Office teamed up with the Coast Guard and Hawaii's Department of Land and Natural Resources to free a juvenile humpback that was ensnared in a mess of heavy-gauge polypropylene rope. It was a really dramatic operation. If you haven't seen the video from that, be sure to check it out on our website. Now, this was a great success, but sadly there are many other cases around the world where the whales aren't so lucky. And by some estimates, as many as 300,000 whales die every year because they get entangled in rope and other marine debris. But the negative impact of marine debris isn't limited to whales, of course. It threatens marine ecosystems, it can make navigation dangerous and hazardous, and it hurts and kills wildlife, not only whale, but birds, seals, fish, and many other types of animals. So how do we tackle such a huge problem? Well, actually, people have been tackling the problem in Hawaii for many, many years. The state of Hawaii, NOAA, the EPA private groups, nonprofits, academic institutions, many others for a long time have been trying to reduce marine debris in the Hawaiian island chain. Now what's been lacking up until now is one unified plan that ties together all of these efforts and all of these partners. Well, just such a plan was unveiled last week that points the way forward for fighting marine debris. It's called the Hawaii Marine Debris Action Plan, and it's the end result of two years of effort and coordination between these various groups. The goal is to tie together the many different agencies and partners involved in this huge effort to clean up the waters around the islands and to reduce the amount of trash in the water in the coming years. And that, of course, takes a lot of coordination. It takes a lot of good strategy. And that's what this plan does. It builds upon work that's ongoing, on work that's been done in the past, and it sets the stage for the future to keep the effort moving in the right direction. Now, the big picture here, of course, is all about reducing marine debris, reducing the current backlog of marine debris, reducing the number of abandoned and derelict vessels, reducing land-based debris in waterways, and reducing fishing gear in solid waste disposal at sea. The plan lays out a strategy to help organize these debris removal efforts, and it sets a framework for emergency response to marine debris hazards, and it sets the stage for future prevention and outreach campaign efforts help combat the problem. So it's pretty exciting stuff and it's a big step forward. 
and the Hawaii Marine Debris Action Plan was supported and coordinated by NOAA's Marine Debris Program with assistance from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Now for our next story, we're going to head east across the Pacific to California. On January 12th, the day before the Marine Debris Action Plan was announced in Hawaii, NOAA Administrator Jane Luchinko gathered together with University of California Santa Barbara Chancellor Henry T. Yang to break ground on a new 15,000-square-foot ocean science education building on the campus of UC Santa Barbara. Now, this building is not only going to serve as a state-of-the-art ocean educational facility, it's also going to serve as a headquarters office for NOAA's Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary. The construction of the building is going to happen in two phases. In the first phase of the project, 7,500 square feet of administrative office and the meeting space are going to be constructed to house 24 NOAA staff members who currently work at Santa Barbara Harbor, and that construction is expected to be completed in 2011. Not all the sanctuary staff will be moving, however. There will still be NOAA sanctuary staff who work in the Santa Barbara Harbor offices and the sanctuary offices at Channel Islands Harbor in Oxnard, California, are also going to remain open. The Ocean Outreach Center will be constructed in the second phase of the project, made possible with private funds being raised by the university and sponsorships. The educational facility in the center is going to be supported by the Channel Islands Sanctuary and UC Santa Barbara's Marine Science Institute. It's going to be an amazing place. You can see artist renderings of the building on our website. Be sure to check that out. The Education Center is going to feature hands-on, standard-based programming on ocean science topics, and it's going to house interactive exhibits, live aquaria, a wet lab, and an immersive theater. And if you aren't familiar with the Channel Islands, let's just say a few words on that. The Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary was designated in 1980. It encompasses about 1,128 nautical miles of ocean around the Channel Islands. What's so special about this area? Well, it's an amazingly fertile place where warm and cold currents combine together. It's home to giant kelp forests, and it's a crossroads for more than 27 species of whales and dolphins, five species of seals and sea lions, over 60 species of birds, and 23 species of shark. And this area is not only designated a National Marine Sanctuary, it's also been designated a UN World Biosphere Reserve, so it's a pretty special place. Finally today, we're going to continue the journey eastward to the Bahamas to talk about lionfish. Now, lionfish are native to the Red Sea in the Indo-Pacific, but they're now established along the eastern coast of the U.S. all the way from Florida to North Carolina, and they're found throughout the Northern Caribbean and the Bahamas. So how'd they get all the way over in the Atlantic? The most likely theory is that because lionfish are popular in the aquarium trade, It's likely the fish were introduced by people who no longer wanted to keep their fish, and they just threw them back in the ocean. So now scientists are racing to learn more about this invasive species. Since they're not native to Atlantic waters, they don't have many predators. And, unfortunately, they are themselves voracious predators. Now, how exactly lionfish are going to affect native fish populations and commercial fishing, we don't really know yet. But we now know a little more thanks to new research in the Bahamas that suggests the diet of these fish could have a big impact on the distribution of other fish living in the Bahamian coral reefs. A few weeks ago, NOAA's National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science, along with the Reef Environmental Education Foundation, 
released a study that found that lionfish feed upon a wide diversity of reef-associated species. This diverse diet includes over 40 species of fish, and this suggests that lionfish are indeed very flexible predators, and they have the potential to reduce the abundance of a wide variety of native fish found on the reefs. Of special interest in this study, the scientists found that two economically important species to the region, Nassau grouper and yellowtail snapper, were among the fish found in the lionfish diet. The caveat is that they were found in lower frequencies compared with less economically important species. The bad news is, is that the less valuable fish species are food for snappers and groupers, so the more lionfish eat, the less food there is to go around. Added to this, the fish species that lionfish are gobbling up play an important role in preserving the reefs by cleaning off algae and plants. If these fish aren't around to perform this reef cleaning service, the reefs could potentially be overwhelmed. This latest study is one of many that are helping scientists better understand the role of this invasive fish in Atlantic Ocean ecosystems. The outlook isn't too good. Given their population explosion and very aggressive behavior, the study adds to a growing body of evidence suggesting that lionfish have the potential to perhaps become the most disastrous marine invasion in history. Now let's end on a positive note. There is one thing we can do to help reduce the lionfish population in the Atlantic. We can eat them. Turns out they taste pretty good and they have a nice texture. And according to a separate NOAA report that came out a while back, encouraging a market for lionfish might be one of the only viable methods for controlling the lionfish invasion. And that's the idea behind a new National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science campaign. And it's called, you guessed it, Eat Lionfish. The campaign is set to kick off soon and it's going to feature top chefs in five cities hosting lionfish tasting events. It's a great idea, and we're going to cover this topic in a lot more depth in an upcoming episode. And that's all the news for this week. You can read more about these stories, see some photos and videos that go along with them, and get some links to more resources from our website at oceanservice.noaa.gov. And if you have any questions about the podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, send us an email at nos.info at noaa.gov. Now let's tune in the ocean sounds. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back in two weeks.